Let's get into it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Follow along in your Bible as I read. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, if you're new to the Bible, you can find find Hebrews and find any book of the Bible just through simply looking in the table of contents. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today. Saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear your voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, we ask that as we get into this this morning that you help us once again. Give us the grace to be able to see uh, to see Your Word, that Your Word might convict us and we might see Jesus this morning. We are here to meet with Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we saw last week that in creation, God gave us a pattern of one in seven. Six days you shall work and one day you shall rest. God uh, gave us the example. The people were to live in God's rest. That doesn't mean that they were to sit back and rest. It means that they were to rest in God and their pattern of six and uh, uh, one and seven would have continued in the rest of God, rooted in creation. Now, here in Exodus chapter 20, we see that this word comes to remember us, or to remember the Sabbath. Remember it, meaning don't forget what has been rooted in creation. Now, these Ten Commandments were written on stone. What does that mean? What does that indicate? Why did God choose to write these on stone. God gave hundreds of ten, ten, uh, hundreds of commandments to the people of Israel, and only ten of them He put on stone. This indicates for us that these ten commandments aren't going anywhere. You know, I think a lot of Christians today see the ten commandments uh, minus one. So, sort of uh, maybe gathering in this service, and we're reading together the ten commandments, and and it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
the fourth commandment, Sabbath, what? Like, let's just delete that one, alright? Well, it's hard to erase something written in stone, isn't it? The Ten Commandments were given to us as God's moral law. The Ten Commandments are not going anywhere. We don't have nine left. We saw last week how the, the Fourth Commandment has not been abolished by Jesus, but rather it's been renewed by Jesus. Resurrection Sunday. We saw this last week. Jesus met with His disciples together on Resurrection Sunday. They were in a room together, in a locked room. And Jesus appears to them on the eighth day, all right, which means a week later. And they call, now we're calling the first day of the week Sunday the eighth day, sometimes referred to in that way. A week later, the disciples are once again in a room together, and Jesus appears to them. As the Scriptures go on, we saw last week in Acts chapter 20, the people are gathered together on the first day of the week, or on Sunday. Did you guys know Sunday is the first day of the week? You thought uh, it was the last day, right? No, Sunday is the first day of the week. And they're gathered together in Acts chapter 20, and it says they're breaking bread, so they're essentially having a communion service. The Lord's Supper, which, which we do. Paul is, is preaching, and it says he goes on forever and ever in, into the night. And a man named Eutychus falls asleep, so that one thing we should know is when somebody is sleeping through one of my sermons, all right, <laughs> they slept through Paul's as well, all right, uh, and he falls out of the window and breaks his neck, and they bring Eutychus up into the room, and on that first day of the week, on this Sunday, uh, this man is brought back to life, healed. As the scriptures go on in 1 Corinthians 16, we see that they're taking a collection when they come together. It's assuming that they're coming together on the first day or on Sunday. There is this assembly that is happening. Now, quoting Jesus, what I believe is quoting Jesus, who said that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus called himself Lord of the Sabbath, which last week we saw, he's saying, this is my day. I own this day. I, 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 uh, this day is about me. It's then used or, or quoted in Revelation chapter 1 verse 16 when the Christians call this day the Lord's day. The day that Jesus owns, the Lord of the Sabbath. So where we ended last week was we discovered that the fourth commandment has a renewed application in Resurrection Sunday. And so this is a two-part ser sermon because last week we did a lot of foundational work but we didn't really get to the practice of it. We didn't get to the application of it. And since there is so much confusion, even in conversations I've had this week, uh, everything from sort of legalism to lawlessness, like confusion around how do we apply the fourth commandment, I, I, I believe that we need to come back to it and spend one more time understanding what it means to practice this fourth commandment together. Now, fundamental to Sabbath is this this idea, this this premise that that God recreated and redeemed a people. And rooted in recreation and rooted in redemption, the people are given this pattern of one in seven to be reminded and reoriented toward recreation and redemption. Now what this means is that God redeemed a people. Alright? Everybody say a people. That means plurality. He didn't redeem you individually. But He redeemed and recreated a people. And so then, therefore, the Lord's Day is a day to enjoy together. 
you might notice a key word uh, in all of these first day of the week uh, instances throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament. The key word found in them is this word together. This is a day together. Let me illustrate it this way. On Christmas morning, when I was a, a child, I remember my parents gave us, uh, get, uh, there was a big box wrapped, and there were four names on it. And the four names were myself and my three siblings. All right, So it was a gift given to us together. Now, as a 12-year-old, uh, and as some of you kids might understand, you see a gift, you're going to take it, and your instinct is to say, this is mine. Right? <laughs> We've got some agreement over here. This is mine. I'm going to unwrap this one myself. All right? Ba- I don't care if your name's on it. Back off. All right? So this is always my instinct, even today. Like, Justin and I get a gift together. Let me, let me open that. All right? Let me see. Okay. That's for you. It's a... Um, and we do the same thing with, with the fourth commandment. You see, this, this is a gift. The Lord's Day is a gift that we are to unwrap open, and enjoy together. And a lot of times we sort of take the gift of the fourth commandment into our own little corner of time and space. Now remember, redemption, the the concept and the key of redemption, redemption is multifaceted. There are three main horizons when we come to understand this concept of redemption. There is redemption past. We are to remember redemption past. There is redemption present. The things that God is doing redeeming us now. We are to celebrate redemption present. And there is redemption future. We are to anticipate and look forward to redemption future. Now the key facet in Lord's Day understanding celebration is this concept of coming together and recognizing that this redemption that we experience and understand and enjoy every day of the week, past, present, and future, on the Lord's Day we come together and as a plurality recognize that together we are, we are, we are part of this broad three-horizon understanding of redemption. That we have been redeemed, that we as a community are being redeemed, and that we together as a community will one day be redeemed. So, let's unwrap this gift together. Alright? Hopefully you, with all of that said, have a clue, some understanding of where we are going today. If there's anything I want you to walk away with, it is this. The Lord's Day is a gift to enjoy together. Alright? So together, let's unwrap this gift. First, let's look at redemption. First, on the Lord's Day, we together, all right? Everybody say together. We need to make sure we're together on this one. On the Lord's Day, we remember redemption together. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. In Acts, chapter 2, verse 24, we see these powerful words, God raised him up. Referring to Christ. God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death. The first cat I ever owned was a little yellow cat with a white neck. And we called him Sunshine. In one cold northeast 
Ohio winter sunshine went missing. And as the snow melted, my sister and I found his frozen little body. It only takes about three seconds after Fluffy dies or Rover dies before a parent is warming their child in hopes of one day being loosed from the pangs of death. Fluffy will be raised on that day. Or something like that. A tear rolls down. There will be dogs in heaven, I swear. How much more? How much more hopeful is it for all of us when we begin to realize that God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, was released from the pangs of death? How terrible was it when His disciples found Him dead? And how glorious was it on that resurrection Sunday, that morning when Jesus burst through death and was risen? Why is it that the Christian Sabbath is Sunday, not Saturday? Here's why. It's because the Jewish Sabbath was rooted in the redemption out of Egypt. Out of their labor. After their labor. They enter then into this day of rest. This one in seven pattern. The Christian Sabbath, on the other hand, is not rooted in redemption out of the nation of Egypt. But the Christian Sabbath is rooted in the redemption out of death. We are to remember this past reality of redemption. The, 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 the Jewish Sabbath rests after the work. However, as Christians, we rest before the work. Everything that comes in the next six days, all of our duties and all of our realities of life, the nine to five grind, all of the six days flow out of the rest that we find in the first day. Jesus loosed the pangs of death, securing our redemption on that Sunday. And so just as the Lord's Supper every week is a memorial to us that Jesus died for our sins, the day itself of a Sunday serves as a memorial to us that Jesus did not stay dead. That Jesus powerfully rose in victory over death, over the grave, and over sin. As we unwrap this reality, Sunday after Sunday, I wonder how it would change our pre-service conversations with each other. So often we come here with this grand reality of the day of re redemption, the day of resurrection, the hope that we have in a resurrected Messiah, and five minutes before the service starts, we're talking about food and football and funny things. Right? I had to throw in another F there. We talk about everything under the sun, right? Oh, and I'm with you guys. Right? I love talking about these things, alright? But, but as, as we begin to understand the reality of redemption, the reality of the resurrection, how would it change our conversations before and after the service with each other? Alistair Begg said, it's, you, you, you see what's on the person's heart based on the conversations that they have 30 seconds after the benediction. We've come to meet with Jesus. We've entered into the reality of who Jesus is. Go in peace. Hey, you going to watch the game today? Right? 
I mean, what are we doing here? What is it that we are remembering? Doesn't it, doesn't it capture your imagination? Doesn't it capture your heart? Isn't it compelling to you? Doesn't it capture your words and your conversations that we have with each other? Moving on. So we remember redemption together. Also, on that day, we experience redemption together. Matthew 28, verse 9. We see there in Matthew 28, verse 9, this moment when Jesus comes into the room where the disciples are gathered together. And you know what they do? They fall at His feet. The feet of God. And they worship Him. They recognize that this is an experience now. Going on uh, in, in, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, again, Jesus appears on the first day. And in verse 9, Jesus says to those He appeared, He says, Peace be with you. The next week, He appears again and He says to those who are gathered together, peace be with you. Now there is this terribly emotional mo- uh, uh, movie, this terribly emotional moment, that's what I was looking for, in the movie, Time Traveler's Wife. It's at the end of the movie and it is so heart-wrenching, I may or may not have shed a tear the first time I watched it, but don't tell anyone. This, I don't know if you, has anybody seen the movie? I don't even remember if it's a good movie, so don't take it. Don't go out, don't go out and watch it. This is Joel's recommendation. There's this moment at the end where the time traveler who has deceased, alright, spoiler alert, he's dead. He dies at the end. Alright? <laughs> so you don't have to watch it now. Um, he appears post death. Alright? So this time traveler is appearing to his wife after his death. Now she runs to him in, in this, and this is sort of the climax of the movie and so sad and she's running to him and she's embracing him because there he is, alright? It doesn't matter. She, he, this is post-death, you know, this is just sort of a glimpse from the past, but for her, it's a moment to embrace him and to, to see him and to feel him and to hear his voice. Now that's probably a terrible analogy for Jesus post-death appearances on a hundred different levels. One of them being the fact that it wasn't a pre-death Jesus that they were experiencing, but it was in fact a post-death Jesus. This wasn't a glimpse of who Jesus was when He was alive. This is the Jesus that went into the ground and then came out of the ground and they're interacting with post-death Jesus. And in that moment, I can only imagine that the emotions would have been somewhat similar. Of this embrace, this falling that we see, and and grabbing His feet, and worshiping Him, and kissing the feet of Christ, and then hearing His voice, peace, shalom, be with you now. There is this present reality to Jesus with us now, that as we come Together as a body, we experience the present redemption of Jesus Christ, the the regular washing of His blood, the renewal that we experience in the act of sanctification of the Holy Spirit as Jesus grows us and points us to Himself and reminds us of the Gospel. And on the Lord's Day, we come together 
to experience this redemption together. How do we do this? How do we run to Christ? How do we flee to Him? What we do is we come to His body. We flee to His body. And there, as the body gathers, as the brothers and sisters gather, where two or three are gathered, I am present. We meet with Jesus. We experience the reality of present redemption with His body. And we find Jesus' arms wide open. Now this is why I would argue that a Sabbath cannot be a personal day off. So I would explain it this way. I take Mondays as a day off. Alright, so Mondays are maybe crash day, burnout day, right? Mondays are uh, family day, in the evenings, almost always trying to get some time with the kids. Mondays are often jest day. Mondays are mow my grass day. I plant a grass, by the way. All right. I've moved from urban gardening to urban lawning. Mondays are do something around the house for jest day. All right. That's Monday. Monday is not the Lord's day. You see the difference? Monday is me day. All right. Monday is a day to take care of stuff around the house, personal things, or maybe it's sleep day. Monday isn't the Lord. The Lord's day is a day for Jesus. It's a day to experience Christ, to be with God's people, to meet with Him, to run to His body, and to, as a, as a community, gather together with Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. He said, Sunday is Father's Day. And we have an appointment to meet with Him. The child who asks, how short can the meeting be? Has a dysfunctional relationship problem. It's not an intellectual problem. It's not a theological problem. Something is amiss in his fellowship with God. Friends, we might go a little long today. I'm just playing. But if we're asking how short can... What's the, what's the littlest I can get away with? What do I have to do to observe the day? What do I have to do? Okay, we'll get in the church, we'll do it, we'll get out and we'll go about our business. What Sinclair Ferguson is saying is, is that it's not a theological problem. There's, there's something amiss with your fellowship with God. Something's not right Monday through Saturday. You see, if we're not right with God Monday through Saturday, if we do not have a fellowship with God Monday through Saturday, which is when real Christian ministry happens. That's when we're leaning into each other. That's when we're encouraging each other. That's when we're like, you got to stop this. That's when we're like, you got to remember the gospel. That's when that, that Monday through Saturday is when we are fighting, uh, all right, in this world for fellowship with God. And as we then come into this space, we experience together the present redemption that's happening Monday through Saturday. Thirdly, on the Lord's Day, we also anticipate redemption together. I read Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. Verse 1 says that a rest still stands, still remains. There's still a rest that is to be had. Verse 4, he, he roots this rest in creation. In verse 6, in verse 9, in verse 11, he says, so let's not miss the rest. Let's pursue the rest. Let's strive to enter into that rest. The Lord's Day is an anticipation of eternity. As we gather together, we are getting a glimpse of heaven. What are we getting a glimpse of? 
Revelation chapter 4, we see the angels gathering around Christ. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then the 24 elders, which represents all of the people of God, fall before Him. And they say, worthy are you, singing a new song. We get a glimpse of Revelation chapter 21. And behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. They will be His people. You know, it's interesting. I've never had a taste of heaven on my own. I've never experienced heaven. I've never had a glimpse of heaven, if you would, when I'm by myself. Now listen, I've had some powerful individual times of worship. I've had powerful days where I've just pursued the face of Jesus. I've had powerful retreats where I go away and for two or three days spend it in the Word and in prayer and there are powerful meetings with Jesus. But I have never glimpsed heaven on my own. Why? Because I'm not going to be the only person in heaven. <laughs> what do you think of heaven, guys? We're talking about a plurality. We're talking about a community. We're talking about a togetherness. Alright? And some of us don't like this. Some of us are saying, wait a second. I actually like the idea of my own personal little heaven where I don't have to interact with anybody else for all of eternity. Alright? If that's you, say, don't say anything at all. Heaven is a together experience. And if the Lord's Day or the Christian Sabbath is to be a day to be reminded of the rest that is to come. It's to be a day together where we can come together and be and, and receive a glimpse of reality. Listen, Ephesians 3 verse 10 says that the angels gaze upon and learn from our meetings together. Alright, so as we come here and we're setting up chairs and, so, and something falls over and we're bumping into each other and, 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 and uh, uh, and we start singing, and you're standing next to somebody that can't sing, and and uh, you have an awkward interaction with someone. Like all of this sort of like crazy redeemed sinners kind of interaction as we engage with one another, the angels are looking in on us, and they are in awe. They are amazed. The angels see this, and the angels say, "Wow, this is a people who otherwise wouldn't be together." coming together, and this is a glimpse of what they're going to have for all of eternity. We get a taste of it. Amen? We get a... a we, let me say it this way. What's happening right now is more real than any other moment your entire week. This is reality. You know, how easily do we buy the lie that it's just me and Jesus? How easily do we buy the lie that it's just... You know, nobody's for me. Everybody's against me. How easy do we buy the lie that our church is phony? Because nobody called me when I was sick. How easy do we buy these lies from the devil who, who, who tries, who says, look, you, it's just, it's just you. It's just you in this world. Alright, you're gonna be the only one in heaven. Nobody else is safe. So this is reality. And when we come together, what we're doing week after week is being reminded of reality. We're not turning the lights down low. 
We're not trying to create an emotionally charged experience to sort of fake a reality, all right? We want to be real. We want to feel life. All right, we want a microphone to drop occasional because that's reality, right? And that reminds us of the reality that is to come. Even the Jewish Sabbath under the Old Covenant, they had a sacred assembly. And this renewed assembly, Hebrews 10, is, is an assembly that we are not to miss. This is a day, an assembly, a sacred assembly of gathering together to taste heaven. Now, how do we break this down? Let me just close with a few practical ways that we can observe the fourth commandment. Number one, I've got three R's. I had four R's for you last week. All right, you can listen to it on, online and write down those four R's if you weren't here. But I've got three more R's for you, okay? Number one, restructure to enjoy the gift of a whole day. Restructure to enjoy the gift of a whole day. Now, I'm not advocating that we have a service that lasts all day long. I know most of you would love that, and I appreciate that. But you know, although I will say there may have been something that churches had in the past about gathering in the morning and in the evening, starting the day and finishing the day together, to be reminded this is the Lord's day. This is the day of togetherness. John Gerstner the late theologian, he said that today, and he's referring to American Christians, he said today the fourth commandment has been all but lost. If anyone observes the Sabbath, it is one hour Sabbath a week versus a day. Let's go to the early service so we can get it done, so we can be on with our day. Get church out of the way. Oh, I don't know if we could do church at 2 p.m. That would be inconvenient. Right? Now let's restructure so that we have a day. Now, let me just say this really quickly. We've got to be careful of, uh, uh, to guard our hearts against rigidity. Alright, legalism. Man-made rules. And we also have to be careful that we guard our hearts against lawlessness. So on this side, there are those who say Sunday is no different than any other, any other day. And what they're essentially saying is, is I want Sunday to look like every other day. I want to be able to keep doing whatever I want to do. They're not saying I want Monday through Friday to look like Sunday, right? On the other hand, is sort of this tendency to drift toward rigidity. This is where Christians in the past have gone wrong. Extreme, what you might call Sabbatarians who, who would tie their shoes before they go to sleep on Saturday night so that way they don't have to do the work of tying shoes when they wake up on the Lord's Day on Sunday morning. Or, or uh, literally, some churches had rules against how many yards you were allowed to walk. Like, not yards, lawns, but yards, all right? How many yards you can walk on the Lord's Day. Just extreme crazy stuff, all right? There's a pastor, a Scottish pastor, who on a freezing morning uh, couldn't get through the snow, and he decided to ice skate down the river to church. So he got, put his skates on, he ice skated to church, and he was met with the consternation of the elders. How dare you ice skate on the Lord's Day? And so they were debating, is this, a, is this an okay form of travel on the Lord's Day? And uh, the, the question finally came, well, did you enjoy it? As if, <laughs> as if you, as long as you don't enjoy it, then you can do it on the Lord's Day, right? 
It's a day to do absolutely nothing you enjoy. Friends, we, we have to guard our hearts against rigidity. Against man-made... This is what Jesus was getting at with the Pharisees who had hundreds of man-made rules around the Sabbath and missing the heart of the Sabbath. The church for, for hundreds of years has debated this and, and, and I, we, I think the church has historically and I clearly see that there are works of necessity. Alright, the disciples are picking grain. Good thing to do. You gotta eat. Alright? Medical doctors on call. A work of necessity. Now, now, then we might say that's a medical doctor on call may be a little different than the guy who has the opportunity to pick up an additional shift on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. And he really doesn't need the money, he just wants more money. You see what I'm saying? Like, and I think we've got to be careful of these rigid rules, but I think every one of us have to ask ourselves, is, is this a work of necessity? Is this, do I really need this? Alright, now maybe you need to feed your kids tonight, and you've got to go work. Do it! You see what I'm saying? Alright, for the first 300 years, the Christians had to work on the Lord's Day according to Roman law. And then after work, they were gathering together. Alright, so we do works of, Necessity. We do works of mercy. Is it okay to cook? Of course it's okay to cook. Alright, if you, I mean, bringing people together and serving in some fashion, right? Works of mercy. So, there, we're, we're, we're not rigid. We're not lawless. We recognize that what Jesus is saying is that the Sabbath is for man. Meaning the Sabbath is a gift for you. So, then restructuring your day and thinking it through, like, do I, do I really have to do sun, laundry on Sundays? Or could I do, move, to, move that to Saturday? Alright? Do I have to study on the Lord's Day? Um, do I have to pick up a section? When we, when we begin to just ask ourselves good questions, what we start doing is we, we, we begin to restructure our day and recognize that the day is a gift. It's a day that we are then able to linger with each other. It's a day that we're able to leisurely sit on our stoop and talk about the kindness of God's grace with a friend. It's a day that we don't have to rush out of the service because we have a hundred things on our to-do list. One way to, that I like to think of uh, restructuring the day, which keeps me from being rigid, is I think of it in some ways in the way that we might think of Christmas. So, who goes Christmas shopping on Christmas morning? All right. Now, I'm sure there's somebody in here that does, and you're going to Break down my analogy, alright? And you know that you're wrong to do that, right? You just got this this morning, didn't you? Like, I didn't even want a chocolate bar, right? Because <laughs> that's the only thing you can buy on Christmas morning. No, we actually, we, we do our shopping. We do a lot of the prep work. Even buying the food. Sometimes even prepping some food. Prior to the day. Why? It's because we want to enjoy the day. It's, we, it's because we want to give ourselves a gift. The day is for, the Lord's day is for you. And so anything, any way that you restructure, it's not out of a legalistic heart, it's just simply to say, how can this day be a gift for me so that I might make it a day for Jesus? Restructure. Secondly, retreat to enjoy the gift of redemptive rest. In God's wisdom, God commanded us to rest. And man, I would say personally, if you are exploring Christianity, this is one good compelling reason to become a Christian. Alright? God 
has commanded that you rest. That we rest from the rat race of life. That we rest from trying to get ahead. You know, ever since the fall, we've perverted work. Ever since the fall, we've tried to find our identity in our work. You know why it's hard for us to rest? It's because we don't know who we are without our work. You know why it's hard for us to rest? It's because we are afraid of getting behind in life if we don't work. You know why it's hard for us to rest? It's because we associate rest with weakness. I'll rest when I go to heaven, someone might say. Well, God wants you to rest one day every week. Why do we rest? Or why is it hard to rest? It's because we are tied to our performance. As self-righteous beings, we have to keep performing. But in this culture, Jesus says, Come to Me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. You see, we are not just simply resting from mere physical labor. There's a a different kind of rest that we enter into on the Lord's Day. Now, granted, the most spiritual thing you might be able to do on a Sunday afternoon afternoon is take a nap. But we're not just simply talking about being idle. There's a new kind of rest. Let me explain it this way. Every Sunday for me is involves a lot of work. All right, so I wake up at 5 a.m. every Sunday, and I pray through my message, and I I pray for the service, and and I, I prepare myself, and then I get here early with a number of you, and we're setting things up, and like stage is doing this thing or that, and and and. Uh, and then often Sunday afternoons will be spent maybe leading a members meeting such as today uh, or uh, find myself in an unexpected counseling situation. So there's a lot of work. Now, some pastors will say, because of that, I'm going to Sabbath on another day. I say, wait a second. No, this is actually Sabbath activity. You see what I'm saying? It's a different kind of rest. Now, I might need to take, because of my role, another day just to crash. All right. But this is Sabbath activity. Coming together and serving the body of Christ. Being served by the body of Christ. Hearing the Word of God. This is Sabbath activity. We're not just merely resting from physical labor, but we are resting from the labor of trying to earn God's approval. We are resting in Christ. And our rest from physical labor reminds us of the redemptive rest that we have in Jesus Christ. You might, after the service today, get together with each other and share one way that you are trying to find your identity in what you do. And then I would like you to also ask this question. How might taking the Lord's Day as the Lord's Day, how might that change the way that you see this? Or how does taking this day, how does it affect who you are as a person? How does it fundamentally change your understanding of identity? You see, the real rest we have in Christ is a rest that is an eternal rest. It's the rest that He that we find because He has done the work for us. The work is finished in Him. Thirdly, we are to relax. Relax. You know, the Heidelberg Catechism says that on the Lord's Day we shouldn't even have anxious thoughts. And you're like, whatever is happening Monday, relax on Sunday. Alright? Relax to enjoy the gift of total trust. You might know, be familiar with the practice of tithing. Tithing is this, this 
idea of setting aside 10% of your income, the first fruits, the first 10%, and then giving that to the work of God and, and then living off of the, 90, the other 90%, and it's sort of this act of trust. It's saying God can do more with 90% than I can do with 100%, right? It's an act of trust. In the same way, the fourth commandment is giving the first fruits of our week, giving the first fruits of our time to God. The first day that we can get out there and make a dollar. The first day that we can get out in the fields and harvest the land. That first day, we are giving that day to God saying, you can do more with six days than I can do with seven. And I am going to relax from my anxieties, from my worries, from my concerns. I'm going to relax today as a practice of trust in God. And this will transform your understanding of trusting in God all week long. I can think of no more magnetic reason to believe in Jesus Christ. He is a trustworthy Savior. And as we practice trusting Him on this day, what would Monday morning look like? You know, Mondays are notoriously difficult. How different would Monday be for you if you're coming out of a day of trust as opposed to a day of catch-up? How different would your work week be if you are working out of the rest that you found on the first day? I would encourage you in this way. Uh, this would just be an interesting way to practice it. One example, get a couple single people together as a single and say, hey, uh, how does practicing the Lord's Day, trusting God on this day, how does that help you trust God with your singleness all week long? It'll transform every aspect of our life as we learn to trust God. God is trustworthy. Jesus is trustworthy. We can fall into Christ. He will be there when we retire. He will be there after we lose our job. He will be there when we can no, can no longer work with our hands and produce. We can rest in Him because He is trustworthy. He will be there for you when you fall. He will catch you. There is no fall that you will ever have in life where He will not be faithful to you. What a beautiful, compelling reason to throw ourselves into Christ. Will you come to Him? I will never leave you, He said. I will never forsake you. Come to Me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Will you come to Him this morning? Will you run to Him? Will you flee to Him? Now, notice, all along, as we've been talking about this life together, this, this Lord's Day, together. It's, it's never really been about us. You see, it's not about the togetherness. The very concept of this sermon saying that the, the fourth commandment is a, is a day of togetherness, it's not about us. It's not about you and me. You see, there is no together without Jesus Christ. This is a day about Christ. And it's a day about what Jesus is doing in your heart and in my heart, and together as we link arms together, and as we find Christ at the center, and as we look forward to that day where one day we will sing a new song to Him forever and ever and ever. We come together because it's all about Jesus. Oh, what a fellowship then we have! And oh, what a day, what a gift to come together and linger with one another in his grace. And oh, what a Savior He is. Jesus Christ, our rest. Let's pray.
Father, we thank You for this time that we could be reminded that Christ is our rest. We pray that as we come together as a body, week after week, that Christ would be in our midst, that we would experience Him, that we would have a meeting with Him, and that we would be reminded of the past reality of redemption, of the present reality of redemption as He works within us, and of the future reality of redemption as we look forward to that day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.